Hey everybody, this is episode 21 of Artist Soapbox. Hello and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring artists from the Triangle region of North Carolina talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. In this episode, I'm talking with Faye Goodwin and Nick Popio, actors in the upcoming production of the play The Moors, which will be playing at Man Bites Dog Theatre in Durham from February 22nd through March 10th. The Moors is written by Jen Silverman, and this production is directed by Jules Odendahl James. Faye Goodwin has been involved with theater projects at Duke and in Durham since 2012. Her most recent role was Sonia in Life Sucks at Man Bites Dog. When she isn't working as an educator at the Duke Lemur Center, Faye keeps busy writing poetry and plays and hiking around North Carolina. Nick Popio describes himself as barely trained and learning on the boards instead of the classroom. Favorite roles include Nancy in Space Girl, Betty Edward in Cloud Nine, and Hamlet in Hamlet. In his spare time, Nick is a senior marketing manager at Golden Corral and specializes in social media and digital marketing strategies. I'm thrilled to be involved with this production with Nick and Faye and so many wonderful people. I can't say enough about how great everybody has been to work with, so I hope you'll be able to come and check it out. Hello, Faye. Hello, Nick. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to start by reading the synopsis on the Man Bites Dog website about the Moors. A family quarrels, a governess arrives, a servant schemes, a hen falls from the sky, a hound hunts his prey. Join us for a tale of desire and intrigue as spinster sisters author their release from the strictures of manor life in Jen Silverman's decidedly modern take on the romantic's dark and brooding landscapes. So we'll talk more about this later in the conversation, but I should mention from the start that this play, which is a little bit of a riff on the Brontes, contains two mostly parallel stories. The people who live in the house, whose story is triggered by the governess arriving, and the story of the encounter between the hen and the hound. Nick, you are playing the hound. The character name is the mastiff. And Faye, you are playing the hen. The character name is the moorhen. So for people who aren't familiar with those animals, what are some defining features of a real moorhen and a mastiff? (laughs) So, of course, the moment I uh, got cast as the moorhen, I had to do my research. It's a great excuse to watch some cute animal videos on YouTube. Um, There are plenty of really amazing moorhen videos that you can watch. A lot of them have really stupid background music, so (laughs) I highly recommend doing that. Um, I had no idea what a moorhen looks like. It's not a North American animal. So that was sort of step one. Um, Moorhens have really striking plumage. They're dark black with a big red beak and these long, strong yellow legs. Um, That's about all I could gather from the videos I was watching, apart from the fact that they are waterfowl, not great at walking, not great at flying, which of course is reiterated in the script. So that was basically what I'm working with looking at the moorhen. They do seem very territorial and protective of their young, but what animal isn't? Um, So that's that's the baseline I got about the moorhen. And I had a little bit of an advantage. Um, I actually owned a mastiff. Um, and so I, I was able to do character study, not realizing that that was what I was doing at the time. Um, at least in the case of, of my Mastiff, Chubby, he was, he was an older (laughs) dog. So that may not be 
entirely indicative of the entire breed. But since uh, my Mastiff is also a little older, uh, it helped inform me. So he was very kind of slow moving. He had that kind of loping gait, but also, you know, just really enjoyed being, uh, well, physical affection. Uh, And so he would come and he would kind of put his whole weight against you. And uh, that was hard because he weighed almost 100 pounds. <laughs> but it was also really this this loving gesture. And he has this kind of like jowls that uh, Mastiffs have. And uh, so all of those things helped to me to kind of picture what my Mastiff was going to be like. In the Moors, you aren't actually dressed like these animals. So you're not wearing a dog costume or a <laughs> moorhen costume. It seems like you're in this interesting space where you are playing animals and not playing animals because your characters actually speak quite eloquently to each other throughout the play, very movingly. They're very um, human. <laughs> so how do you develop characters like this with a nod to those creatures framed in this human way. This has been one of my favorite challenges as an actor, um, being a huge animal lover myself. I think we're always, always relating ourselves to animals around us, comparing ourselves, identifying with different animals. So I think this challenge was one that I was really excited about. And I think it was one I was really glad to see in a script. In the process of relating to animals, we pick out specific features, not only about sort of the stereotypic psychology of, for instance, a prey animal like a moorhen, something that isn't bound to the earth, uh, but also uh, physical characteristics. And when you've been acting for a little while, it's a really beautiful challenge to sort of think, okay, how can I be a chicken, (laughs) basically, without, you know, doing the chicken dance on stage? So I think... It's, it's a clear enough choice, a dog and a hen, that you get different enough physicality and, of course, the predator-prey relationship that you can select sort of broad, basic traits and sort of go from there. Mm-hmm. For me, it was about thinking about what a, the animal characteristics would be like and then how do I make those human? Mm-hmm. Um, how would I personify that? Which was, again, kind of a, a little easier for me because I would always talk to Chubby, so <laughs> and I would give him a voice. So <laughs> I would, I get, I just was doing character work without without really knowing it. And also, I'm really sad that Faye doesn't actually just do a chicken dance on stage. Uh, that is a huge disappointment. Now. You can try it. <laughs> I think I think if anybody ever plays that game where you try to see what animal people are, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're people watching in a public place, you can you can sort of identify the people that are like, oh, that person is definitely like a duck or what have you. So I think practicing that in my regular life so often <laughs> really helped me figure out, well, what would a chicken woman look like? Yeah. <laughs> well, we are animals. I mean, yeah. right. we, we are. It's mm-hmm. not, we're not that far distant. It's, it's sort of giving ourselves permission to actually follow that through, you know, mm-hmm. to really embrace the, a new physicality or a new series of habits on stage. I would love it if you all would read, perform <laughs> an excerpt from The Moors. Uh, so this is, I think, scene three, mm-hmm. the first time that you meet one another. Take it away. 
What do you think about happiness? Uh, about what now? Happiness? I don't know what that is. It's this feeling, this clench, the fist in your heart, but further underneath, and then it hurts, and then it's gone, but you want it back again. So, indigestion? I don't think so. Or hunger? Not exactly. Like in the winters when there aren't any berries or seeds or anything really, and the clench not in your stomach area hurts? And then spring comes, and there are berries and seeds and bugs, fat, grubby grubs, and it goes away? No. Oh. Then, no. Thank you so much. These are two very charming characters, and I'm curious about your experience playing them because I always find myself falling in love a little bit with every character I play and developing a, a really strong sympathy slash empathy for that person. Do you feel that way too? Do you love something about the Mastiff and the Warhen? I both love and dislike the Mastiff. Uh, one of the interesting things about this play is I think there's despite being set in sort of a Bronte-esque era, I think there's a lot going on there that is very relevant to the dynamics of today. And so there's a lot going on there that's relevant to a relationship between a man and a woman, even though it's between a Mastiff and a Moorhen. And uh, there are definitely some problematic things that the Mastiff does that is hard for me to tap into, but, um, but that's a, a, also a really lovely challenge as an actor to be able to explore some things that make you a little uncomfortable or that, um, that aren't quite who you are. And how do you bring that in and give that humanity so that hopefully when people are, are watching you perform, they're drawn into the performance and they see aspects of the real world in what you're what you're doing but also you know so for when i first was uh hearing about the script and and reading it from jules i one of the first things i read were the character descriptions and reading the character description of the mastiff he's described as a sad philosopher king and as a philosophy major in college <laughs> that's certainly resonated for me um so while simultaneously there's a lot there that I have to work through and kind of find a place for, there's also lots there that I'm like, oh, yeah, going on a long monologue about like life and uh, misery and all of those things. Yes, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> right. I personally have never related to a character more than this emotionally unavailable waterfowl. Um, I was so thrilled when Jules asked me to play the Moorhen um, because I think like many women, I get cast very frequently in the sad victim role. And while this isn't too different from that, it's a very much more autonomous sort of character than I'm used to playing, simply because she doesn't have all the subtext uh, behind her. She's a very straightforward, uh, I would say even confident animal because she's not worried about what people think of her. Uh, I think one of the best things about the Moorhen is that she lives in the moment. And that's something that I strive to do, of course, as well. So in a funny way, I love the Moorhen because I'd like to be more like her. Mm -hmm. I think it's nice for us to practice sometimes these character traits that we want to inhabit in our real life, but also touching some of the uglier pieces of characters that 
we may then recognize in ourselves or may make more of an attempt to avoid. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting and what a what an exciting thing for us to be able to do as actors to touch all those different spots emotionally. Jen Silverman is the playwright of The Moors. She's an extraordinary badass and <laughs> describes The Moors on her website as, quote, a dark comedy about love, desperation, and visibility. Do those themes, love, desperation, and visibility, do those themes seem consistent with your experience living within this play? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think at least for me, those are the uh, the major struggles for the Mastiff is uh, he is looking to find love, but even more so just to be really seen and understood. And trying to find that space is what drives most of him through the play. I think for the Moorhen, it's a little more difficult because... She is one of the few characters in this show who is operating more on a biological level, Mm -hmm. just survival, fight or flight most of the time. And yes, she does come to love the Mastiff, which I think is a new sort of experience for her. And we can see her arc through that experience. Desperation, I think, applies much more to her situation, um, especially initially when she's afraid of the Mastiff um, and sort of the desperation of wanting to make the right decision and get out of situations that might be unsafe for her. Visibility is interesting to me as well. Um, although I'm not sure how it relates to my character personally, I think it's a really interesting way to describe this show. Mm-hmm. So I'm in this play with Faye and Nick and my character's name is Holdy. And I think that the Mastiff and Holdy have a lot of mm-hmm. things in common, but definitely this idea of, being seen or not being seen in the the struggle to be recognized as valuable in the room, as existing in the room. And I'm wondering if that somehow intersects with this idea of survival. You know, there's a lot of data that shows there are things that we need as human beings uh, to thrive. Mm-hmm. And some of those include uh, connection with other people, uh, touch. Being touch-starved is something that's uh, often overlooked, but is incredibly important. I think men often end up touch-starved because we are discouraged from touch at a fairly early age in anything that isn't either a romantic relationship or uh even to an extent of familial relationships. And there's a real lack of space for for men to touch, particularly other men, but even just uh, people in general, unless you are in some form of a romantic relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one thing that I tried to bring into the Mastiff was this desire not just to be seen but also to be touched and to be uh valued Mm -hmm. and those things aren't necessarily synonymous but i do think they're all connected in that sense that you were talking about of in order for us to really feel able to thrive 
as humans, we need those things that often get overlooked and are thought of as maybe secondary to like food and shelter and sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so I think those are really important to reintegrate as much as we can into our understanding of what a human needs. Mm -hmm. So given some of these themes that seem a little heavy, that seem a little dark, <laughs> this idea of desperation and, you know, being invisible, being visible, feeling threatened, surviving, you know, trying to make a life for ourselves, all of these things that, that sweep through this play like the Moors. Why do you think people should come and see this play? Why, or, or even theater in general, let's just go broad. I think we can go back to what we were saying just a moment ago about um, having the opportunity to sort of touch and experience different aspects of different people that we might not ever experience personally. And I think for me, that is the biggest, most important thing about art in general is understanding what other people are going through and being able to look at someone you've never met before, maybe from a different background as you, and identify with that with that character, even if it's a Moorhen, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, to be able to look at sort of the combination of universal human struggle, but also individual stories and and sort of put those puzzle pieces together to understand humanity a little better. I have a background in biology and I always say that biology and theater are both studying life in the same direction, sort of meeting at the middle. Um, so that's personally why I think theater is so important. We can understand ourselves a lot better. I also think theater is important just because we need to listen to the stories other people want to tell. I think Jen Silverman's play is saying so much, saying volumes about her experiences, what she's been through. And I resonate with a lot of those personally, and I think other people do too. And whether that makes you feel less alone, makes you learn something about another person or group of people, I think that's absolutely crucial. Not to mention it's going to be a great time. I mean, you know. It's really funny. <laughs> it's There's funny. There's so much humor scary, in this play. Yeah, right. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Theater is one of those avenues where if, you want to see other aspects of life, it's a great way to do that mm -hmm. uh, and to understand things that you wouldn't necessarily get access to in other ways. It's almost like a glimpse or you know, looking through the window at that. And so a lot of theater can be really valuable in that regard. You know, it can bring this beautiful light to these experiences, you know, and the Moors is a great example of that. If you read the description of the Moors uh, from Jen Silverman, you would never realize how hilarious it is. Mm -hmm. And it really is. There are moments where I'm watching other people on stage and I can't help but laugh. Yes, yes, absolutely. I just want to read a quote here from Jen Silverman in American Theatre Magazine from July 2017. And the link to this article, this interview, will be in the show notes too. But I think it underlines some of what we've just said, but also underlines how cool she is. Of course, the play makes use of hyper-theatricality, but I guess I don't understand the separation between theatricality and emotional authenticity. I go to the theater to be shown truths about myself in ways that are surprising, but that are nonetheless personal and true. The humans in the house speak of the Moors 
often. It's the title of the play. And there's a lot of conversation about the Moors as savage, dangerous, beautiful, bleak. You talk about the wind and the rain and the weather all the time. So the Moors are a character in this play in a way, or at least the frame, a frame of isolation that the human characters operate within. How do your characters see the Moors? Because your entire relationship takes place outside um, on the actual Moors. Is this a different relationship to the environment, do you think, than the humans have? Yeah, I think so. As one of the few characters that kind of exists in both worlds, mm-hmm. um, some of the humans go outside, but um, the, the Mastiff really belongs in both spaces. And I think in that sense, he really experiences the Moors differently. Uh, he is more reactionary to the Moors. So he alludes to the Moors often, mm-hmm. but it's as he is experiencing it in the moment, uh, not as this other space, but rather where he exists. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a key difference between those two perceptions is the difference between this other isolating area and an area that you actually live in and exist in. And there are certainly in the lines, there are spaces where he talks about it being, uh, you know, cold and all these other things that are not great for the Mastiff at least. And I, I think for the Moorhen, we experience the Moors as it happens, not as this concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the Moorhen has a, interesting perspective on the moors because that that is her whole world Mm -hmm. there's no knowledge of the house um, unless she's run into a window a few times before in her life uh, which wouldn't be surprising (laughs) she really has no concept of any other world apart from the moors Um, her relationship to her environment becomes i think more apparent in the very final scene and one of her lines is that this is a place built on distance and that really gives me a lot to think about, about her relationship to that place. Um, Being an animal that flies, being an animal that can travel farther distances, even if she's not so good at it, I think will definitely change her relationship to this broad expanse of place. Um, I tend to think of the Moors from an actor's perspective as, as the landscape of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's wild and threatening and, and terrifying in some spaces. And then it's also beautiful in some others. And it just depends on how you approach it and how you live there. So I think for the Moorhen, definitely thinking in that direction, um, the Moors become a little wilder and more unfamiliar when she's with the Mastiff. And it becomes more of a place that she needs to go back to, even though she's never gone inside. This idea of distance is definitely... Another theme, yet another theme that this this play elaborates on and the distance between one another, right? And I think that Jules and Sonia have physicalized this in a really interesting way in the way that, that the Moors is staged at Man Bites because when we're on stage at one end talking to someone else at the other, we are so far away from one another. It feels actually like quite a large distance mm-hmm. to traverse to get from one side to the other. And 
always is reminding me as my character about how much I want to cross that distance. I want to become closer to someone. And it's sort of always chasing people around this very large space and not really getting anywhere. So I think that is a really interesting, I forgot that you had that line in in the final scene and it's a beautiful way of explaining the play. So we keep talking about these two semi-parallel stories, the people in the house, and the mastiff, it kind of goes back and forth. And then the animals outside of the house. Why do you think these stories exist, coexist in one play? I um, definitely think that we have a tendency, just like we have a tendency to relate to animals or identify with them. We also have a tendency to uh, try to convince ourselves that we're not. Um, and so many, I feel like, books, plays, movies that I've seen sort of have this this underlying theme that, well, humans are the real animals, right? Okay. Are the real beasts or monsters or what have you. Um, so I think that would ring true in this play as well, especially because of sort of the time period that interior is supposed to be seen as a sort of, you know, poised, polished uh, existence. Um, so I think that that contrast is important, but also the way that we see the relationships play out in each space also is very contrasting mm -hmm. to the idea that's supposed to be held within, where the moors are supposed to be wild and savage. You get this sort of domestic right. <laughs> peace for yes. the first time, whereas in the house, you know, everybody's bustling around in these big period dresses and being a little bit more animalistic in some senses. So I find that contrast really crucial and beautiful in the play. And also the idea of, of freedom. I mean, when you have sort of an enclosed space, especially the way the house is portrayed, being sort of like a labyrinth where time doesn't really pass, mm -hmm. um, and the moors being this sort of scary idea of freedom, like we can go out there, we can leave, but what do we do? We might get eaten by birds or right. swallowed by quicksand. So I think that idea of having the the sort of imprisonment of the house and the wildness of the moors really shows me the the choice people have between this like insane safety and the terrifying freedom of making your own choices. Mm -hmm. Now from an actor's perspective, however, Faye, you only have scenes with Nick and Nick, you are often present in the house, but you don't truly interact with the inhabitants of the home in the way that you speak to and are heard by the Moorhen. What's that like as an actor? I love everybody who's in this cast, but I certainly have a much stronger connection as an actor with Faye because all of my scenes where I actually get to do things are with her. <laughs> Even when I'm in scenes with the rest of the cast, like I'm I'm sitting in a corner, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I do try to interact, I get sort of rebuffed. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's much harder as an actor to be like, oh, I'm really engaged in this scene than when it's just Faye and I on stage and we are only interacting with each other. And so that definitely creates a different bond. It's also a different challenge because I think staying engaged in these scenes where I'm there but not mm -hmm. is really difficult and and sort of finding that space of how am i as the mastiff reacting to what's happening even though i have no lines i 
I don't really move that much. Mm-hmm. What do I, what am I doing? What am I bringing to this scene by being there? That's a huge challenge for me. And so I, I do have to sort of reinvest in that in a way that I don't have to with Faye. Yeah, I am definitely an isolated little Moorhen out there. Um, I, as an actor, am am struggling with being envious of not getting to work more closely with the other people in the show, <laughs> the in- interior people, um, especially because a lot of you I haven't worked with as actors before. And just like we mentioned with when you're working with a new character, you can sort of learn things from their own behaviors and actions. I find that being able to work opposite new actors teaches me a ton. And of course, I'm learning a lot from Nick and the way he responds to things and listens on stage. Um, but I'm always sort of hungry for more of that and um, and wanting to sort of, you know, be able to sort of go into stage combat or, or play with different people on stage <laughs> and learn from them is so much fun. But on the other hand, it's also really fascinating just to be able to watch a lot. Um, it's sort of like I get to go to this play every night, and that's been really, really fun. Have you worked together before, both of you? No. No, oh. never. So you're throwing we in. We haven't even, like, I didn't even know who Faye was until after we were cast. Yep. Wow. And how did you go about building your relationship in the room? Yeah, so Nick and I actually met up before the play even started. Um, we sort of knew about each other, found each other, and decided to meet up and and start getting to know each other before the play. And we clicked immediately, um, started this wonderful journey of friendship, and Nick's become one of my best friends, which is really fantastic. So that was a great start that we we clicked already just as people. And... Um, I think our, our scenes require a good bit of trust. I mean, it is it is pretty intimate, at least emotionally, the places that we go there. And especially having the predator-prey sort of dynamic, it's a little more tricky. You want to make sure that, you know, that doesn't go too far and you, you stay in that safe zone, even though it is just, you know, animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think starting out with trusting each other as people really helped us trust each other as animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And especially like you were saying, because of the nature of the relationship, it, I think, really helped us to have a friendship where we could trust each other and explore some of those things that are, for me, it's a little scary to, to be in that place and to, to be in an emotionally vulnerable place can be scary. So feeling like you have a scene partner that you can really trust is, I think, as valuable as in stage combat, having a partner that you trust not to, like, accidentally stab you. Right, (laughs) right. We also had a couple of really interesting moments um, just running our lines. We would maybe meet up for dinner before rehearsal just to run through some lines, have a drink. Um, we don't drink before rehearsal. Right, right. <laughs> um, Have but, a glass of water. <laughs> water. Yes. Um, but we had these really fascinating moments just sitting at the bar where we would run run scenes and it would it would be really natural. I mean, apart from some of the specific language about mm-hmm. the moors or bugs or what have you, um, <laughs> it was like being on a date, right? Mm-hmm. And these, this dialogue fit in just right. And that was sort of a moment for us, I think. It's like, wow, this is one of the most realistic and modern relationships in this show. And it, you could, you know, see something very similar to this um, in humans in modern day. 
I think that's one of the wonderful things that Jen Silverman has done. She's taken the wild ones, the beasts, and made them the most civilized creatures on stage. The conversations that you all have, some of the best communication that happens is between you and it mm-hmm. degrades, but you you talk to one another, you listen to one another, you reason things out, you're present for one another. In fact, the Moorhens jam is being present, right? She's very much in the moment and seems to discard a lot of things that have occurred prior. So she's always right there. And the humans in in the house, there's so much scheming. There's so much uh, history that they're dragging around and not at all being present in the moment, so much so that they can get tripped up by being surprised by the emotional avalanche that occurs, Mm -hmm. let's say. I think there's a a really interesting symbol of that inability to let go of the past and the future that exists in the house um, that is locked away within the bowels of the house, (laughs) um, as it were. Um, (laughs) Nudge, um, nudge. That I think is a really good representation of that constant lingering presence um, of the lack of being present. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that just sort of occurred to me. And there's there's none of that sort of holding the Morhen and the Mastiff back. It's so wonderful when a play can find new ways to show you how honest a connection can be, both the good and the bad. And I think the Moors does that. That's one of the reasons why I took the role was because I heard about the script and I thought, that sounds a little odd. And then I read the script and I thought, this is one of the best things that I've read. I'm wondering what you draw from your life outside of the theater that informs your approach to theater making because you have very rich and full lives. I think everything informs what I bring to acting. Uh, That's at least what I try to do is um, whether I'm playing a dog or an alien or a normal human being, (laughs) like I try to bring humanity to that role so that people can see parts of themselves in that or see something new. You know, I think about, in the case of the Mastiff, I think about what I want people to take away from that, both the good and the bad. And while I want him to be sympathetic, I also want him to be a little bit of a cautionary tale. On my end, um, I mentioned my biology background, and I think that in in a way informs a lot of the art that I create in, in many ways. Um, One of the things that excites me the most about theater that I'm finding more and more as I do it is the pure range of human expression, uh, whether it be physical or emotional or imaginative. Um, So not only does the the writing itself excite me, what can people come up with, um, but also do I get to do something I don't normally do on stage, whether that be, you know, fall from the sky or or get in a fight or scream my head off or something like that. That's what excites me the most. So I think coming from sort of a a background in which I'm 
already in awe of the life that we share on earth and what humans are capable of and how our bodies and our minds have grown and evolved to be what it is now, I'm sort of taken aback always by how much our brains and bodies can create on stage. And that's why theater is sort of um, the thing that excites me the most. So whenever I come in at a rehearsal, even if I'm having sort of a rough day, something like that, and I don't really want to go through all my stunts, um, it's sort of like, oh, well, this is a nice break from my stand-up, sit-down, how-are-you-fine life that I live every day. I get to break out of that and and sort of stretch out my human body and human mind in ways that I don't get to before. So maybe I take it sort of more meta than, uh, than other uh, actors do in that sense, but um, just the pure pleasure of being able to, to be a human animal on stage is really exciting for me. In our day-to-day lives, at least my experience, is that I'm very confined. I'm very constricted to running in the same rut, to doing the same things every day, and to a lot of my life being dictated by other people's needs. This opportunity, as you said, to come to a place where we can stretch in all of these different ways, physically, emotionally, with our language, it's a relief, it's a gift, it's a joy. And I think for me, at least, it equips me to re-enter my regular life from a place of more balance. It is. It does feel more like a survival mode. Right. Um, rather than being confined in the right, being yeah. confined in the house with no sense of time and you're doing the same thing. This is how time passes here. All of a sudden you're out on the moors and it's fight or flight when you're on stage. And that's such a thing that we miss most of us in our lives. I hear a lot of times when somebody finds out that I do acting in my spare time, uh, I say spare time, but it's really like a whole other job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they say something along the lines of, oh, I could never do that. And usually what they mean by that is they could never get up on stage and be in front of a room of people and perform. And for me, as somebody who has anxiety, it's actually this really calming space because there is only one thing that I can think about when I'm on stage. And that is the performance and my scene and who I'm working with and what needs to happen. Everything else has to take a a backseat to that. Whereas, you know, if I'm sitting at my desk at work and I'm typing or doing spreadsheets or whatever I end up having to do that day, a million thoughts are going through my head. So it's it's kind of, to me, a a relief Mm -hmm. and a release to be able to sort of say, this is where I am. This is what I need to do. Now do it. Right. When people say, I don't know how you get on stage. I could never do that. I always want to say, well, I could never not do that. Like, what do you you mean? (laughs) So Nick, in your bio, you mentioned that you are, quote, barely trained and learning on the boards instead of the classroom. Could you say more about that? Sure. So a lot of the people that I have worked with before, like they studied theater, they know theater. Uh, I don't. I took an intro to acting class in college and some theory classes because I wanted to read more on like the drama of difference and things like that. But in terms of 
really training and acting, I don't have any. Uh, I have the experience that I've developed over the last few years. I I did a student production in college, and I, I was a small, small part in Angels in America in college. And then I didn't do any acting for almost 10 years. Then I went through a really bad breakup and had the idea. It happened right around the beginning of a new year. And I decided instead of a resolution, what I was going to do was I was going to try things or revisit things that had made me happy in the past. And so I, I did a bunch of different things. And some of them I was like, yes, this is great. And some of them I was like, oh, there's a reason why I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, acting was one of the things that I rediscovered in that time and really remembered how much it brought to my life. And in fact, discovered that it was much more important than I had realized that it was earlier on. And so since then, I've been trying to just devour as much as I can, mostly in learned experience of, like uh, Faye was alluding to earlier, like living and, and breathing and eating what other actors are doing and learning from them and saying, okay, these are things that I want to develop as well. Or how does that, re- how does that work for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're all very different as humans. And so you can't just mimic what somebody else does. Uh, you have to figure out how it works for you. And so that's kind of what I mean by that is uh, I think all of us as actors learn through the process, but I don't really have the foundation that a lot of other actors have. I'm so grateful to be on stage with you, and I wish that we had some actual real scenes together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we only really have a moment. Yeah, we have one moment. It's not the kindest moment, and otherwise we just pretend like you don't exist. Poor, Poor dog. Faye, would you talk a little bit about your artistic life? Because I know that acting is only one element in what you do creatively. When I was in college, I um, discovered sort of for the first time how much I enjoyed other aspects of theater apart from acting. I think when you first start out, it's very common for anyone interested in theater to sort of think that acting is the only thing you can do. Um, And having an extremely busy schedule and people having other needs in our student theater group, I sort of fell into things like costume design and scenic design and eventually puppetry. And by my senior year, I had written a full-length show, directed and designed it, Mm -hmm. and it was crazy and full of puppets and nonsense, and uh, the theater has known lots of damage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But... um, I've been really lucky to be part of a community at Duke that sort of nurtured more exploration. Um, and through Man Bites, I've been able to explore a little of that as well. So I've been getting really into playwriting. Um, I've written a few plays this year that I'm excited about and trying to figure out what I do with them now that they're sitting there on my computer. Uh, I write a lot of poetry as well. Um, I got a poem in the Best Emerging Poets of North Carolina this year. So that's sort of a notch in my, um, in my belt there. But just trying to, to reach the feelers out. One of my biggest focuses of, of the arts at all are not worrying about being good at it. Because I don't think that's what art is about. I think that bad art is really important. <laughs> and it should get better, of course. But... Everything I do, I sort of take the approach of 
this is a practice, sort of like yoga. It's like I'm not going to be great at it. I'm not going to win anything, but this is something I need to I need to get out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the plays that I've written have just sort of forced their way out, like Alien, the movie. Um, <laughs> so, so I think that's sort of what I'm hoping to do and continue to reach out those little feelers and and continue doing things like design. Um, there's so many amazing designers in Durham. I mean, I've worked with Sonia, who's doing our set so many times, and she just blows me away. Anything coming up next for you that you would like to mention before we close? Sure. In April, I'll be doing two different things. Uh, one is a charity event for uh, North Raleigh Arts and uh, Creative Theater, Interact, um, called Miscast, where we sing songs that uh, we would not ever be able to be cast in. Uh, so usually that means you're singing a song that would be sung by the opposite gender or um, that would be traditionally sung by somebody who is uh, from a different ethnic background than you are or something along those lines. So I'll be singing a song uh, in that, although I'm not allowed to talk about what song I will be singing. Um, I, I will say that it should be a lot of fun. And uh, we do group numbers and it's it's a blast. Um, so definitely encourage people to come out to that. And then I just found out that I was cast in a production of Peter and the Star Catcher. And uh, so I will be playing Slank a uh, morally corrupt (laughs) pirate, which I'm super excited about. Uh, And that'll also be opening in April. So you're a singer. Yeah. Well, yes. You sing. I I can sing. (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself like, not a great singer. (laughs) I'm a, I'm a, I'm a okay to good to passable singer. Passable. (laughs) But seriously, you, you really want to come listen. It'll be great. I do. I'm dying that I can't know what you're going to be singing. Is, this, is, is that part of what gets people in the door? Yeah, that's is the, the same idea. Mystery? Is you My don't imagination want to, like, is running wild. Yes. Yeah. Like, all the things you to sing. Do you, do you all take suggestions? Uh, I would have if I hadn't already started prepping for my, <laughs> my song. But uh, feel free to suggest things for next year. I would ha- happily take suggestions. <laughs> And who is Peter and the Starcatcher? Which company is that with? That's also with Interact. Okay. Uh, so that'll be going up. I believe we open April twenty second. Wow, you've got them back to back. Yeah. Are... Yeah, it's a little. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> Faye, anything that you would like to talk about before we close? Yeah, something I'm really excited about that's coming up. Tori Bend, who is a local set designer and puppeteer and all around amazing human being, is working on a puppet extravaganza at duke this semester about little nemo if anybody remembers those old comics um and i've been involved sort of a little bit at the beginning and might might get involved but either way it's probably going to be astonishing her work is really amazing so yeah check that out i don't know when it is probably like april uh yeah i think april okay we'll look we'll look for that if you ever start a theater company, I think you should call it Puppets and Nonsense. Puppets and Nonsense. What, you said yeah. what do you think, Nick? You Puppets want to be involved? Absolutely. Oh, great. Thank you both for joining me as the first artist soapbox duo. Yay. That was a high five. <laughs> that was yeah, a high five. You couldn't, 
You could hear it, but you couldn't see it. No one got slapped. Just a high five. Just a high five. It's all, it's all good. It's all good, clean fun here. Again, thank you very much. You're both awesome. Your performances are wonderful. I can't wait for people to see you on stage. More henning and mastifying up. Um, as usual, I'll put links in the show notes. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. Support the podcast at patreon.com slash artistsoapbox. For information about today's episode and more, go to artistsoapbox.org. And we're out. <laughs>